0: Solid rock, a stone, Lord, that we can set our hope on, Father. Thank you for your help. Thank you for bringing us through the storm, Lord. And, uh, maybe we're going through trials right now or we just come out of one, but Father, we know that you are faithful to us and you love us, God. Father, we hear our cries, hear our praises to you this morning, God. I pray that you would be pleased with our worship. God, that today, Many lives would be changed just from hearing the word, Lord, with your spirit coming into our lives, Father, and transforming us. We love you so much. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.
1: above.
2: time uh, we're going to take up our contribution. This is uh, used for making our church go. And uh, so I just want to encourage you to give generously. View it as a gift to God. View it as a gift to your brothers and sisters. And uh, I'm going to pray right now and the ushers will go ahead and uh, pass the trays. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you give us hearts that see through the worldly, the unspiritual, and see through to what you're doing in this world, in this congregation. And I pray that uh, you give us hearts that out of gratitude and honor to you, just want to give of our time, our energy, our money, we owe so much to you. We owe it all. And uh, I pray right now that uh, the gift we give, the money we give would uh, be honorable and uh, would help your people. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Alright, well we have a couple of announcements, um, today we have some special guests with us today, Sadek and Kristen this year. if you could please, they're right here in the front, Kristen I think you could stand and then Sadek, give a wave to everybody. So Sadek and Kristen uh, got married in our church and uh, that was, uh, gosh, a year ago maybe, oh man, So it's been a while. So they're here visiting with us uh, from the London church. And so if you can uh, come meet them afterwards, Um, Sadek loves to tell great stories. So I'm sure he'll have a a good one for you. But uh, we're really happy you're here. Um, And also I just have the pleasure of announcing um, Steve. Uh, Steve, uh, he's going to be preaching the word for us today. And he was out last week and Tim did a great job last week as well. Give him a hand for that. And so did Matthew. I don't know if you were here, but we had Matthew in our campus ministry. He was was planking on the stage. Incredible form, the best I've seen in years. So really happy about that. But uh, right now, we're going to uh, hear from Steve. So please give him a warm welcome as he comes to preach the word to us.
3: Well, it's awesome to be back with you all again this uh, Sunday here. I, I did want to uh, welcome one other brother back to our uh, fellowship, one of our own iron men here who actually uh, did a little bit of destruction to his heel at our event. Let's give uh, Jay a warm welcome back, amen? Good to see you, my brother. Yeah, it's been awesome uh, having you had the opportunity to be a part of your awesome church here in the West Side. Uh, We came in loving you guys, but we've really come and grown to love the West Side. Amen? You know, old relationships, new relationships, uh, new brothers and sisters in Christ. We had uh, Red, who got baptized a few weeks ago. We've got uh, Chungol, who'll be getting baptized here a little bit later today after our service. Culver at the beach at 1230, I'm told. There's just a lot of great situations taking place here locally in the Westside Church. You know, I just really appreciate the brothers and sisters that have been involved on that level, too, knowing that ultimately it does take a village to raise a child, but it also takes a village to bring people into the kingdom. Amen? Uh, We had an incredible evening last night over at uh, uh, Jack and Bridget Goldberg's. We had uh, Adam McCurry was there. Uh, We had uh, David and... uh, Bobby, and uh, who else was there last night? The Shumps. It's had this incredible, incredible meal that they put together for us. Yeah, it was just a great time hanging out. That's what I love about the kingdom is the relationships, the fellowship, uh, just having this great time with brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Today we're going to uh, be talking about comebacks, and uh, with that, let's go ahead and uh, go to the Father in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you so much for your son Jesus Christ and the incredible example that he set for us personally. Uh, Thank you for uh, the uh, little bit of uh, additional information there on Ebenezer and what that stands for. And God, knowing that as we go back to your Bible, it was amazing to see the time time and time and time again how the Jews were delivered, how they had their own personal comebacks, and that they would take the time to, to build these monuments out of stone to commemorate the way that you worked in their lives. Father, I pray that each of us can look to those victories in our own lives, those milestones, those markers that you've set for us, and where you've helped us to transform our lives, becoming more and more like Christ, knowing the implications that has for our world. Father, I love you, and I thank you for this time. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've got, I've got a slide here that kind of, uh, for me, sums things up when it comes to comebacks. It says every setback, in order to have a comeback, you've got to have a setback first, right? It's unfortunate, but those do happen in life. Any of you guys ever experienced a setback? I mean, if you haven't, there may be some situational awareness issues that we need to talk about after. But anyway, every setback is a setback for a comeback. God wants to bring you out better than you were before. That's encouraging to me. You know, I think each and every one of us here that has been baptized into the kingdom as a disciple, making Jesus Lord of your life, we all have our own comeback stories. and you know, the, thing about, the thing about comebacks that I really appreciate is that, I don't know about you, I love the underdog, whether it's in athletics, w- wherever it is, I love the underdog. Any come to mind at all? Rudy. Rudy. <laughs> There's an all-time favorite of many, many people. You know, I, I like Rocky III, I mean, there, you know, a little bit of the comeback thing going on there. Um, Campus students, some of you may have seen it, I, I know that... Uh, based on what we saw with Braveheart a few weeks back, that you guys watched some of the older movies that are out there. But you know, there's a a quote by Michael Jordan that really, when it comes to comebacks, setbacks are those obstacles that we can run into that try to keep us from whatever it is that we're trying to achieve. And as Christians, we know that Satan's got quite a few of those out there for us, right? Michael Jordan says that obstacles don't have to stop you. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up figure out how to climb it, go through it, or work around it. And this is something that he adhered to. We saw that throughout his professional career. It was just amazing, the things that he was able to accomplish. I've got some more current ones, though, that are kind of interesting. Uh, any of you guys know Robert Downey Jr.? This is one of the most phenomenal comebacks in the entertainment industry that I can think of. and that In 1992, he won an Academy Award for his role in uh, Charlie Chaplin, but then he had some issues from 1996 to 2001. I don't know if it was because of the success or what the situations were, but in and out of rehab, alcohol problems, drug addiction. He almost died on a couple of occasions, yet he's had this amazing comeback. Most of you are more familiar with him in his role in Iron Man or Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes was the first movie out of the shoot where he started to make his way back into the industry. A million bucks for that. Now, If you follow the uh, media at all, when it comes to some of these crazy incomes, Uh, he was guaranteed $50 million for Avengers 2. This is the one that just absolutely blows my mind. And then HTC, how many of you guys have heard about HTC and Robert Downey? They paid him a billion, with a B, dollars for a two-year contract. What are you going to do with that kind of money, right? Uh, Some of the other ones we've got on here. Josh Hamilton for you sports guys. Very promising career. 1999, was injured due to the injury. You know, a little bit, maybe too much. uh, Well, (laughs) yeah, that's what happened. But I think feeling sorry for himself, got into the party scene in a huge way. and Basically, from 1999 to 2007, accomplished absolutely nothing in baseball. Coming off of that, he gets picked up by the Texas Rangers in uh, 2008, MVP on a couple of occasions during that period of time, incredible turnaround, so much so that I'm sure you guys can tell me what he signed for in uh, December 2012. What was his contract for five years? $125 million. Now, I don't know if it was worth it based on his last season, but that's a whole other story. Boston Red Sox, 1918 to 2004, 86 years without an American League championship, and they pulled it off against the New York Yankees in 2004. Now, since then, 2007, what happened? World Series, not too many Boston fans in the house. I thought I'd have all kinds of people screaming that one out, and then obviously this past year, what happened? Great comeback. Now, here for me, though, is the most significant of all of them. greatest comeback of all time is that one. Jesus Christ. No greater comeback ever in the history of this planet. You think about what Jesus went through prior to being put in that tomb. The mocking, the beatings, being spit upon hung on a cross, and died. How many other people can claim that comeback? Resurrection from the dead. Overcame death, overcame sin, the fact that he was sinless, he was able to pay the price for each and every one of us. So we'd have the opportunity to have a relationship with him and spend eternity in heaven. Greatest comeback in history You know, I want you to think for just a moment about your own personal comeback stories. We all have them. There's been different periods of time in our lives where we've had issues. We've bottomed out. There's been challenges. But as Christians, being able to have that faith in God, knowing that God is a God of restoration, God is a God of reformation, God is amazing, living transformed lives as Christians. You know, when you think about that, what comes to mind? What kind of feelings are stirred? Looking at the setback, and then looking at the comeback. We're going to take a moment here and flashback a little bit earlier on in Jesus' ministry in Mark 3, verse 13. Mark 3, verse 13 reads, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. It's always a good thing to come when Jesus calls, amen? He appointed 12, designating them apostles that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. Now, when you think about those apostles, who are some of the guys that come to mind? Peter? Mark? You know, it's interesting with that. I, I may have missed it, but I didn't hear anybody say Thomas. We got one brother out of the entire congregation here. That's awesome. No, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Thomas was a part of the faithful 12. But who goes down in history as what? We didn't have a problem filling in the blank on that one, right? (laughs) Doubting Thomas. You know, in uh, John 20, verse 24, it's interesting. It tells us that Thomas wasn't there with the 10 after the resurrection. And the thing that, that makes me a little curious is that of the guys that were hanging out, What took him away from remaining with his brothers, the other apostles? Why wasn't he hanging out with the other ten? Why was he out of the room? You know, that's one of the things we probably have to wait until we get to heaven to either ask him or God as to what it was that took place, because the Bible doesn't tell us where he went. All we know is that he wasn't there. But, you know, this is one of the things I love about the Bible, and when it comes to early Christianity, actually Old Testament, New Testament, looking at the Bible in general, We always get to see people's humanity. And the thing that's encouraging to me is when we look at the humanity that's in the Bible, they didn't always get it right. Which gives a guy like me hope. Knowing that, you know, you can have those setbacks, but if you keep walking with God, you will always experience the comeback. Amen? Now imagine missing a Sunday here and coming back into the fellowship and one of your brothers runs up to you, Dude, you won't believe who you missed last week. Jesus was here. Yeah, I think my wife summed that one up. They'd, they'd kind of stink a little bit, wouldn't it? Guess who showed up while you were gone? Would you believe it? You know, and just getting back to Thomas, I'm a little intrigued, actually, about how quick we are to make Thomas the poster child for faithlessness. You know, and looking back at the rest of the group there, they all had their issues. I mean, the rest of the bunch didn't do all that great all the time either. You know, I mean, thinking through the resurrection... In and of itself, the women kind of had that one dialed in. Where, where were they? Who were the first ones to come to the reali- realization that Jesus was back? And when they conveyed that to the apostles, what was the reaction? Oh my gosh, that's awesome! No, they believe her? They believe him? No, what, what, what did Peter and John have to do? They had to go check it out themselves. They had to go run down to the tomb. They didn't want to believe what, the word that they had heard from those women in that particular situation. You know, and then there are the faithful disciples after the appearance of Jesus, still locked in an upper room. You know, the thing that kind of hit me about this story going forward was that that thinking through the implications here, why did Thomas come back at all? Why did he show back up? Whatever it was that took him away, he still came back to the boys, to the apostles. He came back. And it was in that group that Jesus came to him. And the thing I love about this, not so much as an admonishment or correction was offered to him, Jesus was very simplistic in his approach with Thomas. John 20, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. You know, our primary text this morning comes out of John 20, 24 through 29. A week had gone by since that incredibly momentous day that Jesus resurrected. And the thing that's interesting about this, too, out of the four Gospels, the post-resurrection only appears, it's only recorded in the Gospel of John. John 20, verse 24 Thomas, again, wasn't with the others when Jesus came. And they told him in verse 25, We have seen the Lord. What was his response here? I won't believe. I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. So, you know, just kind of thinking through this, well, what was what was Thomas's issue here? What was Thomas's problem? And ultimately we see it in this passage. Thomas' problem was unbelief. Christ said Thomas was an unbeliever. In John 20, verse 27, in the Holman's Christian Bible, it says, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. You know, the word faithless or doubter in some translations means just not believing. And you think about that. Is there a problem with faith today? Well, I think it depends on what you're looking at. I think if it's a faith in God, yeah, there there can be a problem with that. But when it comes to the world's faith, the world has faith. We have people telling us all the time what to believe in, what we need, what we should have, what our life should look like. And we've got a few quotes here that kind of summarize the world's faith. And it's amazing how many of these there are out there that deal with the same issue as in these quotes. World's faith. There is but one cause of human failure. And that is man's lack of faith in his true self. William James, American psychologist and philosopher. Next one, faith in oneself is the best and safest course. Michelangelo, incredible artist. A lot of us are famous, are familiar with Nietzsche. God is dead. The Christian faith from the beginning is sacrifice, amen? The sacrifice of all freedom, all pride, all self-confidence of the Spirit. It is at the same time subjection, self derision, and self mutilation. Don't live in the shadows of those whose interferences badly influence and deceive us. Live in the light of your own self's truth and remain true to your own beliefs. Biddy Ann Spinelli, never heard of her. It's an interesting quote. Self reliance. Is the only road to true freedom, and being one's own person is the ultimate reward. Never heard of Patricia Simpson either. Interesting quotes, though. These are are things that many of us have heard. This is the way many of us have lived, and this may be the way some of you are still living today. You know, this is great advice if you want to be a hermit. I know for me, self reliance almost destroyed my marriage and my relationship with my kids. You know, self-reliance, what's the key word there? Self. Self. So where does self lead? Where does self-reliance lead? It leads us back to self, which ultimately is away from God. See, Christian faith is completely opposite and opposed to the world's faith. The Word of God tells us self-belief is a huge problem. As an example, the author of Hebrews sums it up quite well in Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, without faith... Or belief, depending upon the translation. It is impossible to please God. You know, in John 20, verse 25, we, we talked about it earlier. What was the source of Thomas's unbelief? I think it fell within within the statement that he made, those three words. I will not. I being the operative word there. What's that all about? Self. The unbelief of Thomas was willful. I will not. It's an imperative. That's the statement that he made in this situation. His unbelief wasn't an intellectual problem. Ultimately, it was a heart problem. You know, it was very similar to the uh, two people on the road to Emmaus, where Jesus says to them on the way in Luke 24, verse 25, he says, you foolish people, you find it hard to believe all the prophets wrote in Scripture. God's given us the direction. God's given us the road God lays it out for us. It's not a matter of, you know, getting to heaven and there's a pop quiz to get through the gates. I mean, he's very clear with what he's established and he's given it to us. John 1 is very clear about who Jesus is. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the word. If you're not sure about what it means to have a right relationship with God, you just need to spend more time in the scriptures. God really lays it on out. The thing that I appreciate about him even more is he gave us the physical examples, not just Jesus Christ alone. We see that through Christ, but we see it with so many others as well that decide to surrender and make Jesus Lord of their life. You know, the source of unbelief is ultimately in the heart. It's not the head. You know, we talked about this at Midweek last week. You know, there are a lot of people out there today in academia, in the academic field who think that we must make the gospel appeal to intellect so we can convince the intellectual crowd. And where does that lead? It's amazing this country was founded on God. Our colleges were founded on God. So many aspects of what this country was all about, freedom, that freedom to worship God. And it's amazing how society is just intellectual society has pushed that stuff aside. You know when it comes to that situation in fighting on belief and going after it from an intellectual standpoint the heart doesn't engage and if it's going to be an intellectual debate, intellectual argument, ultimately it doesn't lead anywhere. You know God lays it out in Jeremiah 29:11, if we're going to find him, what do we have to do? He says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future." Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me. See, there's a lot of people that can be out there looking, but the key to finding him is right here. It says, you may seek me, or you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You know, I love studying God's word. I think as I've gotten older, I've grown to have a deeper appreciation of it in that I seem to be today much more aware of what goes on in the course of every day. And being able to use God's word as I grow and change and mature, yeah, at 55 years of age, there's still room for maturing, amen? And it's amazing how God will meet you every step of the way if you're willing to walk with him. And how there is absolutely nothing in this world that we cannot overcome. There's nothing in this world that we cannot deal with if we're walking with God and it's on a heart level. You know, there's plenty of quality intellectual evidence out there and arguments that support faith. It's not the lack of intellectual evidence or convincing arguments that keeps people in unbelief. I mean, Thomas walked with Jesus. We know he had some issues early on. I mean, you know, Jesus says, hey, you guys feed the people. Thomas was practical. He realized he didn't have the means of doing it. But he forgot who he was walking with. You know, when Jesus made the declaration that he was going to go back to Jerusalem, he was following, but he wasn't following on a heart level because the statement he made was, all right, dude, you're going to Jerusalem. We'll follow you to our death. He forgot who he was walking with. And that was because the intellectual aspect of what was going on, but he had not bonded with Jesus on a heart level. See, those that fight belief, faith, God, and take that intellectual stand, usually have something they don't want to give up. Maybe it's drinking, excessive alcohol, cigarettes, various chains from the past. Maybe you grew up in an abusive household and you don't want to do what your parents did to you, emotionally, physically, or otherwise, and you swear up and down, you will never, ever allow that to happen with your own kids. But if we're not connected with God on a heart level, the thing that happens is we stay chained to Satan. And the same buttons he pushed with our parents are the very same exact buttons he'll push with us, and you'll do the same exact things you swore up and down you'd never do. But without that love and that faith and that connection with God on a heart level, there isn't the opportunity for a comeback. Because Satan is the one that will continue to keep those shackles on your ankles. He will keep you chained. Unless you can really acknowledge and understand what God did for you when he sent you a Savior. In Hebrews 4 verse 12, it's real clear. God's word doesn't come back void. So what people need now is not more facts, but more faith. Facts are abundant concerning the gospel. Faith certainly is not. You know, Thomas had all the facts that he needed. We saw that in verse 25, based on the testimony of his ten peers and who he'd been walking with for three years. The key is faith, and faith comes from hearing the word. Blaise Pascal has this quote which reads, In faith there is enough light for those who want to believe and enough shadows to blind those who don't. I'm going to read that again. It's pretty good. In faith there is enough light for those who want to believe and enough shadows to blind those who don't. What does it ultimately get down to, a personal decision that we make? You know, the source of Thomas's unbelief, where did that come from? Well, a source is someone or something that provides what is wanted or needed. Now, if we're self reliant, can we provide for our own salvation? Can we provide for our own peace? Can we provide for our own faith? And you can keep going and take that list out for eternity. Can you do those things for yourself? I mean, who, else, who of us have been to heaven? So, what's your source of faith? What's your source of belief this morning? Is it God, or is it the church of, and you fill in the blank. Is it the church of Christ, or is it the church of self? Is it the church of Christ, or is it the church of school, or the church of job, or the church of kids, or the church of marriage? And without God being number one, all those other things are totally worthless. But Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them. When Jesus came, in John 20, verse 24. The text refers to the meeting that Christ had with the disciples on that first Easter Sunday night. Why wasn't Thomas present with the other disciples when Christ showed himself? The primary answer here was lack of faith. Lack of belief. See, people who lack faith or belief, they're not eager to fellowship with those who do believe. Those who are faithful. Everything else is more important. You know, when our faith is deficient... There's a lot of other deficiencies that take place in our life. Our fellowship with other disciples becomes deficient. Our time at church becomes deficient. So on a hard level, we're somewhere else. Or maybe you just are somewhere else. You don't see the value in being a part of something like this. You don't see the value of coming together, praising God, singing God's praises, hearing the word preached. You know, maybe a matter of your small small group, family group, whatever. If our faith is deficient, we don't see the need. It's easier for us to, to stick with those shadows than it is to actually walk in the light. We've got to be careful and really make sure that we're focused on the basic fundamentals that Christ established for each and every one of us. Otherwise, we can fall into that category where Jesus will challenge us on whether or not we're actually believers or not. You know, Thomas's failure to fellowship with the Saints, or as we would say, his failure to show up at church on Sunday resulted in him missing some really choice blessings. You know, what did in in, in just principle here, what did Thomas miss by not being there? Same thing that most of us miss when we're not involved. Hebrews 10, 23, it says, Let us hold unswirling to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. Keep each other involved. Let us not give up meeting together or summer in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know there's a sister this morning, kind of gave me a bad time about my shirt. I'm not going to say who it is, though I'm very tempted. But, you know, I, I appreciate what she had to say, because there's some truth in it. She goes, Well, brother. She goes, if if I see you, you get a lot of encouragement from people. And I just don't want your head getting too big. I'm all <laughs> Jackie, that was uncalled for. <laughs> if I wanted to name her name, I could have named her name. But you know, it's true. I, I appreciate that because that's what the fellowship does with me. I get a lot of encouragement. I get to see your smiling faces. We get to talk about all kinds of cool things. There are great meals that are prepared. There's great time together. But the only reason for that is because we're unified by our love and our faith in God. And there's a gratitude for what God has provided us through with Christ, but even more so, what he provides us with here in his church. See, Thomas missed out. He missed out on a lot of things. By not being there. That lack of fellowship, discipleship, one anothering. That comes by being with those that are unified with Christ. You know, some of the blessings that he missed out on. Thomas missed because of his lack of fellowship with the saints. And those things were peace, purpose, and power. See, he missed peace and joy. It comes in the, in, at us here in, uh, continuing in John. John 20, verse 19, it says, Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. I mean, these guys that were afraid, they understood the implications of what it meant to be associated with Jesus. Yet with all that, and the persecution that they knew would be waiting for them, and the potential death sentence they knew would be waiting for them, upon seeing Christ walking with Jesus, what took place here? They were filled with joy. And I would imagine they are probably bouncing off the walls a little bit, and he's saying, guys, come on, let's tone it down a little bit. I already gave you my peace. I'm going to give it to you again. Relax. We're good. It's good to see you joyful. It's good to be hanging out again. So that's Sunday evening. The disciples were meeting behind locked doors. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders. They're afraid of the Romans. And then here's Jesus suddenly standing in their midst. I can't even begin to imagine what that must have been like. This kind of makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. And there's a few back there. But anyway. TMI, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But Thomas missed the joy that these guys were sharing with Christ. He missed the peace that these guys had because they were there with Christ. He was absent for a whole week. He had trouble in his heart. He had a troubled heart. For a whole week, zero tranquility, zero peace. I'm sure he was stressed out of his mind. Why? Lack of fellowship. Anxious, stressed out. You know, prayerfully, you're not missing today, and if you have in the past, this will kind of register, but skipping church, midweeks, Bible talks, discipleship times, we'll know the time with your brothers and sisters in the faith doesn't promote peace, instead it promotes problems. And this can be me. I can be involved in my head, but not connected on a heart level. My heart can be somewhere else. And then what ends up happening to me is it takes me even further away. See, Thomas missed the proof. At that very first meeting with the disciples, as a group after the resurrection, Jesus showed them the wounds in his side, in his hands. And those were the things that Thomas claimed that he needed to see in order to believe. But again, where was he? Thomas didn't believe in the resurrection until a week later because he missed the proof. And ultimately, for each and every one of us here today, where do we find our proof? Where is the proof for us? This was the most incredible comeback ever in history. So much that calendars changed. I mean, there was impact here. The impact was Jesus Christ. Where do we find him? You know, John 1's real clear, verse 14. So the Word became human and made his home among us. (laughs) He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen that glory. God's one and only Son here in the flesh. You know, if we're not in the Word, we're missing out on that time, that fellowship with God and that fellowship with Christ. We're missing out on the proof. And this ultimately is the thing that hinders our progress and growth in the faith. It helps to keep us weak in the faith. You know, most of us have seen uh, National Geographic, some of the different, uh, you know, animal planet, things of that nature. If you're a predatory animal, who do you look for? You look for the the sick. You look for the weak. So we've got to be careful. We need to guard our health, our spiritual health moving forward. Amen? You know, he missed his power and purpose. At this very first meeting, Christ gave the disciples an assignment in John 20, verse 21. Again, he said, peace be with you, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Here's the other thing that he missed. Verse 22, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave them a purpose in life. They were there to serve him, but Thomas was not present, so he missed out on this incredible gift at that point. Disciples were given divine power from the Holy Spirit. We know what they went on to do with that power. We know the impact that they were able to have, but Thomas lacked the power for service because he missed the meeting. You know, the next time you look around for whatever it may be, not not feeling great, not feeling like you belong, not feeling connected, not being involved 100% all the way in, holding back, remember the great things that Thomas missed as a result of his absenteeism. It will help you see, honestly, the ridiculousness of anything that we can come up with that would keep us away from God, from the Word, from the fellowship. It will help prevent you from experiencing great loss in your spiritual life. You know, I found this in the Anglican Digest a number of years ago, and I return to it from time to time. It starts out saying, I was regretting the past and fearing the future. Suddenly God was speaking. My name is I Am. I waited God continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and its regrets, it's hard. I am not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and fears and it's hard, I am not there. My name is not I will be. But when you live in the moment, it's not hard because I am here. My name is I am. To live in the moment, Neither regretting the past or feeling the, fearing the future is the life abundant that God promises us. Really understanding, I, I, I can get caught up in this yo yo thing from time to time where in my spiritual life, you know, I give it to God and I take it back, and I give it to God and I take it back. I'm hitting the remote. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I don't even know I've done it, I've taken it back. All of a sudden I realize, man, I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm feeling kind of out of control here. What the heck's going on? And, And then I realized what I've done is I've stepped back into regretting my past, or I've moved forward into fearing the future, not knowing what comes next. And you know I wonder it's hard. I mean, it's in those moments when we're doing it alone. We're not doing it with God. And that's the thing that I love about Thomas. And it's because I know what can be done. Thomas came back. I don't know why he left. But I do know that he came back, and he went on to do great things. What happens to him? Doubting Thomas doesn't stay a doubter. When he he sees the risen Jesus and all that Jesus has taught over the years, it now clicks in. It's there on a heart level. And it's amazing to see that he goes on to be one of the most outspoken advocates for Christ ever. You know, this is one of the other things I like about Thomas. Thomas. We may all not be able to be a Peter. We may not all be able to be a Paul. We may not all be able to be a James. But you know what? We all can be a Thomas. I don't know about you. That's super encouraging for me. Thomas went on. Church tradition tells us that he preaches in ancient ancient Babylon near the Tigris and the Euphrates River. That's where Iraq is today. He traveled to Persia, present-day Iran, and China. China. And with all that, he's winning disciples to the faith. Then he sails south to Malabar on the west coast of India in 52 A.D., and he preaches and he establishes the church, and he wins the Christ high-caste Brahmins as well as others in that society. And this thing is really cool. The Portuguese encountered Christians in 1498 while exploring the Malabar coast. And they themselves claim their foundation goes back to Thomas, So finally, Thomas travels to the east coast of India preaching relentlessly. He's cured near Mylapore about 72 AD, near present day Madras. And tradition tells us that he's thrown into a pit, then pierced through with a spear that was thrown at him by a Brahmin. This is kind of cool. When the Portuguese encountered the Christians in India, this basilica was built in the 1600s to honor his tomb. So here you got this guy who has so fervently proclaimed his unbelief, yet with all that unbelief, he carried the Christian message of love and forgiveness to the ends of the earth in his generation. It's so incredible. So you know you, f- you may be feeling like Thomas this morning, maybe doubting a little bit, feel like you're missing proof. Get into the Word. Feel like you're missing peace. Learn to embrace Christ in the fellowship for the first time. If you're here visiting with us today, or Again, if maybe you've strayed from that. Feel like you're missing power? You don't get strong sitting on a couch eating bonbons. Get involved! Feel like you're missing purpose? Start seeing the word with the eyes of Christ, and you will see your purpose. It will be obvious to you, looking through the eyes of Christ, as to what needs to be done moving forward. You know, we all love comeback stories. We heard a few of them thrown out there this morning. Rudy, Rocky, Hoosiers. You know, Robert Downey Jr., the Expendables. I like all the old guys getting back together. But for me, the, the greatest comeback for me as a man is Thomas of Didymus. We don't have to settle for setbacks. Let this week be the beginning of your comeback with God. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray for the communion. Father God, I am so incredibly grateful for your word and the examples that you give us. Uh, just even going through this message again today after having prepared it, it's just so exciting to know that we can live a life of comebacks, victories for you, if we're focused on you and we connect with you on a heart level. Father, I pray as we take this time for communion, uh, that we can each reflect on our own lives. You know, sometimes it's good to go back and look at the areas that we've had shortcomings or failures Only when we can look to what you've done for us in our lives and the transformation that takes place through the blood of Christ. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his example. And every bit as importantly, thank you for Thomas. I know it really inspires me to go on and do so much more for you each and every day of my life. I love you. I thank you for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.